Hi everybody, um, I'm Gillian Hepburn from Schroders and welcome to the 12th podcast from the Diversity Project Gender Workstream, the last and final one of this year um, and haven't, I, haven't we had such good fun along the way. Uh, we brought this one forward uh, due to Christmas, normally as you know we do it in the last Friday of the month but I'm sure we'll all be parting perhaps. Um, this year we've explored a range of different themes and considered how in, in particular we can encourage women to join our industry but as I say every podcast um, everybody's welcome and all the themes that we've covered really have been relevant no matter and um, what gender you are. All the previous podcasts are available on the website or on Spotify, YouTube and Apple Podcasts so do feel free to listen to some of the previous ones. Uh, last month we had a great time thinking about coaching and the benefits that it can bring so if you haven't listened to that one yet do take a listen um, do it over your Christmas break, um, but it was definitely one of my favourites for this year. It was really good fun. Um, and as it's the last one for 2021, I decided to take a slightly different direction this year, this time. And I've got two incredibly interesting guests joining me today to talk about their career paths. So um, we're going to consider how career paths are not always linear, how choices and circumstances can affect this, and I'm going to ask them to share some of their wisdom and, of course, advice. So I'm really delighted to be joined today by Steve Butler, CEO at Punter South Hall Aspire, and Lisa Young-Harry, CEO at HSBC Bank Pension Trust UK Limited. As usual, I'm going to start by asking each of the guests to introduce themselves and give a little bit about their background. And this might take slightly longer than usual, um, because of the theme of the podcast today. Um, so we'll ask them to give us a little bit of history about their career path, and then we'll take that forward and explore a few specific themes that I'm sure will become apparent. So Lisa, welcome to the podcast and let's start um, with you and tell us a little bit about how you joined the industry and your career path up till now. Hi Julian, no, thank you for having me here today. Um, Yes, it's been, it's an interesting one for me. I mean, I came into the UK, I'm origi originally from Nigeria, I came into the UK when I was 15, so didn't really know anyone. Um, I remember I did my, um, during my A-levels, um, I remember my statistic te um, teacher saying to me, um, uh, well, just we were talking about um, different careers. At that point, you had to decide, obviously, what you're going to study at university. And um, he suggested, you know, he said to me, have you thought about the actual profession? Clearly, I had no clue about it. Um, and um, the little that I, that I knew of it, I thought, oh, I like the sound of that. It seemed like it was quite an exclusive um, profession. And, um, you know, you'd, on paper, it felt like you'd work in a city, I'd have my briefcase, you know, wear my, my power suit. And that was kind of the vision that I had. And I thought, well, it sounds okay. There's a bit of maths and I kind of, um, um, had an affinity to maths and I thought yeah okay that sounds like a, an, an interesting profession so um, so I went to Southampton University and I studied um, maths with actuarial studies um, so I did it took me a while to find a job whilst everybody um, doing their final year were obviously getting jobs applying and getting jobs it definitely took me a while to get a job I didn't find a job at that time when I graduated so but eventually I got a job say about a year or so um, after graduation. But the job that I got was with an insurance company. And I think the title was um, an actuarial assistant, but it didn't come whilst it was doing, um, I'm not even gonna call it typical actuarial work. 
it didn't come with the usual um, study package. You know, you'd have a firm that would pay for your um, study materials, your exams and time off and all of that's quite expensive. But I still wanted to, I knew that being an actuary was something that I wanted to do. So I, I kind of paid my own fees and took my, you know, took time off holidays as, as, as study time off, et cetera. So I did all of that on my own. But within a year, I knew that I didn't want to really be in insurance. So I decided I wanted to go into pensions. Pension just seemed, it felt like it was more suited to, to me. Um, and so I decided to um, go into pensions consultancy. Um, and, I, and I was studying for the exam and I had this little book. Um, so I'm quite a bit of a planner. So I had a book of all the exams I was gonna take, when I was gonna take them and in my own mind, when I was going to qualify. And in my book, there was no, oh, you might very well fail an exam or not. Um, there was just no, there was no room for, for, for failing actually. So it was just a, a linear progression in terms of, you know, once I start the exams and, and when I qualify. Um, but I hit a, hit a roadblock. I failed the, ex, um, the actual exams a few times. And I can't remember which subject it was, but it was just so difficult to kind of pass this, this subject. And then I move over to others and I just, I just wasn't passing any exams. So anyhow, um, that, that was a hard, that was a quite a humbling experience for me because I'd never failed an exam before. Um, and I, <laughs> my mind, you know, academically, I was, I was gifted. I graduated a first class in, in maths and kind of never really, in my mind, as long as I put in the work, there's no absolute reason why I shouldn't, I shouldn't pass. So, so that was tough. Anyway, I took a break and uh, did an MBA. And that gave me time to kind of reflect and also kind of risk. And interestingly, um, whilst doing that MBA, I kind of um, it reaffirmed in my mind that I did want to continue with the actuarial profession and I wanted to qualify as, as an actuary. So, um, so I worked with, you know, completed my MBA, decided to go back to actuarial work, work with a few actuarial consultancy firms, with the last one being Hyman's Robertson, and I was there for about for about nine years. Whilst I was on adoption leave. When I was at Hyman's, um, I've had a few adoption leaves actually, but I think it was my second one. I that allowed me to kind of take time out to think about whether I was on the right path in terms of my career. And in my mind, you work for a consultancy, you be partner, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then I thought, actually, is this really what I wanted to do? Um, and then I took time out to think about the skills that I had and where I thought that was. I'd be happier and would be best suited to me. And I felt like in-house governance and secretary, all that sort of work was actually more suited to me and something that I'd be much happier doing. So when I went back to um, Hyman's actually after my adoption leave, I started to position myself and take on projects that I thought would give me the skills that I needed to actually accomplish mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. So then I moved on, I left. So I left Hyman's, I, I worked um, then at Prudential as head of pensions, Tesco and now, and now HSBC. Thanks, Lisa. That's that's really fascinating. I think there's a lot of topics that we're going to explore later. But for me, things like planning. Um, I love the story about your little book and the plans and the linear progression and also failing. So we'll talk a bit about that and also taking time out. And, and also you talked a bit about skills there. So um, so we'll unpack all of that in a minute or two. But I'm going to hand over to Steve now. Steve, welcome to the podcast today. Um, What's what's your story? You had a, a, a slightly different start, didn't you? So um, do you want to give us your, your story? Yeah, hi. Um, so I, I grew up in Hampshire in the New Forest. I went to a state school 
Um, I wasn't a very good student. I was easily distracted, um, always looking to do other things. I was rock climbing, mountaineering, anything but, but the books. Um, so when I got to 18, uh, all my friends went, got their A-levels and went to university and, and I didn't do so well in my, in my A-levels. So um, that, that was the first jolt in my life that I wasn't following a path that everyone else was, was following. Um, my dad said to me, right, time is to go out and get a, get a job. Um, so I got a job as an office junior in a regional life office in the branch office of the life office. Um, and I think that was when a switch went on and I, and I kind of realized that I couldn't mess around forever and that I needed to kind of switch the ambition on. And, and, and my career progressed relatively quickly. And, and maybe I'm ashamed to say this, but I was very driven by the company cars at the time. You know, as an office junior, if I made it to, to be the salesperson, then I got a car. And if I, if I got to be a senior salesperson, I got a better car, um, which, which led me actually into the international division of the life company because they had the best company cars. So um, I moved from that company where I had progressed to Royal Life um, in their, out of their Isle of Man office. And my sales area was um, Latin America. So I had a nice car and I traveled to, to Latin America um and, and carry on my my kind of sales career um i was then recruited into scottish widows um they kind of made me head of sales and marketing for their international business had an even nicer company car my personal <laughs> area was africa um and and it was great um so by the time i got to my late 20s you know my career had progressed in a, in a very linear way in the sales and marketing area and i'd had lots of fun along the along the way um found myself in a situation at that point that my career was stalling. You know, I was working for a Scottish life office and, and, and all my bosses were actuaries and, and there was a, you know, my own kind of glass ceiling that I'd reached there. So under, under advice, I went and did an MBA. Um, and a couple of things happened there. During that period in my life, uh, my wife and I had uh, four children by the time I'd finished my, my MBA. Um, and, and I found myself at the end of the study, realizing that actually business was quite easy and I didn't need to work for a big blue chip company. Um, I also found a situation where I wanted to spend more time with the children and, and the company was saying, no, you need to travel into the London office, you need to travel kind of globally. Um, and, and, and I just, I came home from work one day and said to my wife, um, I've just resigned, I, just, I don't want to do this anymore. So she was horrified. Um, on the Monday morning, I set myself up uh, as a consultant, as a sales and marketing consultant, and started to build a, a self-employed career. It was quite challenging because I'd been, you know, senior role in a blue chip company, and then I was just buying his back bedroom kind of with his own business, but it wasn't really a business. So over the coming years, um, established a, an investment research business, which grew. Um, I then got an investor. Um, and it grew even more. Um, and, and I found myself in the Puntus Alto Group as, as kind of one of their subsidiary companies that they, they'd invested in. Um, Puntus Alto Group is, is quite an incredible group, very entrepreneurial. Um, so they supported me to develop other businesses within, their, within the group. And I, I moved in, I ran their governance business for their investment consulting team. I ran their investment consulting business. And then five years ago, um, they wanted to grow a broad financial services business with employee benefit consulting and financial planning. 
So um, they, we, we agreed that I would lead a business called Pan South or Spire and through a sort of buy and build strategy, go and, and kind of build another, another business for them, which is kind of where I am now. Yeah, thanks for that. It's, it's really interesting. I feel like I've had a bit of a combination of, of the two of you, in fact, in terms of my, my career path. So I, I, Steve, like you, I was at the local school and I, I went into a life company um, and I kind of stayed very steady there for about 22 years. And then I guess it went a bit chaotic because the plan didn't work out. And I ended up consulting as well. And, uh, and you know, if somebody said to me in those early days when I joined at, you know, 22 or whatever I was from university, this is where you'll end up. Um, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't really have believed it. So um, some real similarities there, um, particularly around the actuarial piece. Um, I think things have changed now, specifically in marketing. But I also get the bit about the company car. I moved into distribution too. It was great fun. Um, although it wasn't quite as glamorous in terms of the countries that I was able to cover. But anyway, Lisa, let's go back. And um, I just want to pick up um, on what um, my first point in terms of you talked about how initially you find it difficult to get a job. What, what were some of the challenges there? I think the, for me, my biggest challenge was not understanding what I was doing wrong because on paper, you know, mm. I had um, certainly the, all, all of the academic qualifications um, and I, and it was really hard even at interviews or when you'd go for those um, presentations, I just couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. And um, one, I didn't, I think companies are a whole lot better now at giving you feedback. I didn't get any feedback. So, you know, in terms of, okay, what is it I'm doing wrong? Just, there was nothing. So um, so that, that was quite hard and I know things are different and, and that's absolutely fantastic now that companies are making a lot of effort to provide feedback to those that don't quite make the rounds. And then also it's just not having any guidance. I didn't have any kind of support network in terms of professionals that I could go into, maybe have practice sessions, interview sessions, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And things are a whole lot more better now, I think, in terms of the support that a lot of industries do support those that, that just graduated. Um, so at that time, I think it was just it was just not knowing where to go for help and how to get the help that I needed. But I'm just so pleased. I know there's so much help and so much support out there now for, for students. Yeah, I mean, some really good points. And obviously, at the end of this podcast, we always talk about kind of key learns and things and, and advice. But I think there's some there in terms of, you know, you can ask for feedback and almost don't be afraid to ask for feedback and making sure you've got good support in place. And on a previous podcast, we also talked about the skills workshop, which is really helping people get into the industry and, and almost overcome some of those challenges that you faced there, Lisa. And Steve, what about you? You took a completely different start, didn't you, straight from school, but probably a bit more linear in those early days. So how, how did that kind of feel? And also, do you want to talk a little bit about your MBA I, and the importance maybe of qualifications? Yeah, I mean, the, it, I was a very happy-go-lucky kind of guy. And, and when I didn't get the A-level results I needed, that was a real jolt. Mm. And, you know, I was, I was really kind of quite fed up because all my friends were off to university and having this wonderful time. And I, and I was still at home living with my parents. So that, that was, I don't know, quite quite a difficult time. You know, I got, I got my first job. Um, you know, I was an office junior, so I just did any, I just did anything. You know, I even remember going out into the park one Christmas to go and get the dirt to plant the Christmas tree, and I was I was doing those types of jobs. But I was quite happy to do it. It was it was kind of a fun it was a fun place to start. Um, but what I found through that three year period when everyone else was at university, I was able to progress my career quite quickly, and they 
university, uh, you know, three years later, got their first job. And it almost felt like I was I was three or four years ahead of them because I'd had this head start and, yeah. and very little competition for me to progress my career at that age because none of the graduates had started. So I was, I was able to really get my get my feet under the table and, and progress quite quickly. And, and, and I think you know, I look back at that now and, and, you know, it was a good 10 years before some of those friends of mine kind of mm-hmm. caught with me career wise because I didn't didn't do a degree. So that was that was a positive thing, but I think what it left me was was a bit of a chip on my shoulder about not having done a degree. I knew I was capable of it, but I yeah. hadn't done it. I did some insurance exams along the way, which helped me progress. But but when I realised that my career had reached a, a limiting point because of my academic background, you know that, that again was the other jolt I needed to go back and study. Um, and it was, you know, I did it while I was working. I did it while we were having children. So it wasn't the easiest way to go about getting a, a degree. Um, but it's, but it opened my eyes up to what was available, um, you know, fr- from a, from a business perspective, you know, with an MBA, you study all areas of business, not just, not just one niche area. So it, it kind of really opens your mind up to what you can do next. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting you talking about joining straight from school. And we, we did an earlier podcast sort of busting that myth that you have to have a degree and it has to be from a certain university. Um, I made a, a great girl on that talked about joining straight from school and how that felt. So it's really interesting because one of the things I'm always keen to try and get across is that you can join our industry in from lots of different routes. And, and certainly I think we're much broader in terms of how we recruit people now. But but speaking of the jolt, which I think it sounds like you had a couple of times in, in your career, um, which again is an interesting one. Lisa, it's maybe similar to you that that kind of no fail options, um, but then finding you were failing, if I could put it like that, yeah. was really a bit of a jolt. How, how, how did that really impact your confidence? Yeah, that's an interesting one because, I mean, I was just generally a confident person in the sense that I had a plan. And my yeah. plan had no fail option. So clearly I was quite confident in my in my ability. So it did not occur to me that I should have, oh, yeah, if you in case you fail, maybe reduce the, you know, maybe this is option B or something. So yeah. that was not was not in my plan. So it did, it did knock my confidence um quite a bit. And I started to second guess myself, think about, I started to wonder whether. I was, that was the right, I was in the right place and I was doing the right thing, et cetera. Uh, especially when I just kept trying and each time I try, you know, the results would come out and, I, and I'd fail. Um, but but it, I would say also, I mean, clearly we, when you, with experience, you kind of learn resilience as well. I mean, you go through this thing, and, and but also what really helps is when other people, when you know other people that have gone through something similar, I think that really helps because it makes you feel actually, yeah, it's it. This is someone that's done it and actually has gone up, reached the other side, and has yeah. been successful and has completed exams. So you're not the only one that's kind of gone through this failing bit. Um, and and then I also I think having a good support network is 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 actually quite key. So that when you are feeling like you know you're not quite capable, there are people that are propping you up, etc. Um, and and help to build build your confidence. I, I think that is that is quite key. But for me also, there's a resilience, but also getting perspective and not, you know, it's it's not the be all and end all. I think is sometimes when you lose perspective, you, you you kind of lose yourself as well. 
Um, and I think those are things that are, are quite important in terms of, yes, there's a plan and the plan's not quite working out, but not giving up, taking a step back to think about, is this the right path? And if it's not, then move on to something yeah, else. Yeah. If it is, stick to it, et cetera. So those are the sorts of things I think I would say. Yeah, so it's, it's almost like it's, it's okay to have a plan, but actually what you need to be prepared for is for that plan to change and how, how how you adapt to it and um, and sometimes the change isn't necessarily within your own control in a way and, and maybe Steve this relates to I'm, I'm really keen to explore this work-life balance with you because I'm, I'm guessing well Lisa talked about losing perspective here and, and and maybe that was I don't know what prompted your the whole work-life balance and, and you know it's unusual isn't it for a man typically in our industry to to try and move to more flexible working um, could you just talk a little bit about what happened there well I, I think my plan was always to keep moving forward and, and kind mm. of in the better job um, and you know and that led me to kind of traveling all over the world and and kind of flitting between Edinburgh and Jersey and, and Africa and and um, in fact, when my when my second child was born, you know, the company wanted me to travel up to three months, three three weeks before they were born, I was still traveling, and three weeks after they were born, I was back traveling again. So I, I very quickly realized that I was missing out on quite a lot. Yeah, it wasn't just travel; it was kind of time in the office and and, and this type of stuff, and and I wrestled with it for a long time as to what is important to me time with the children or my career and I and obviously realized that the children grow up pretty quickly and that the career can be reignited at, at a different point um so I I you know I had this revelation moment where I just handed my notice in and went no I, I want to walk my children to preschool I want to yeah. be there at those moments and and not be the one that's kind of chasing their tail to just miss those moments yeah. Um, and I, I'm very proud that, you know, that five year period when they were young, I was I was there and I have been able to rebuild my career since that point and, and almost more successfully because it took me in a different direction. Yeah. And, and maybe that time out and a bit more reflection helped, did it in some way? For sure. For sure. Um, you know, I think. But then if you're if you're a busy person, you replace being busy with work with being busy okay, yeah, with something else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, do, you, do you think, Steve, that the industry's moved on now in this regard in terms of a greater flexibility and offering that to people? It's patchy. You know, mm. I think, you know, across the industry, there are areas that are genuinely flexible and those that kind of say that they are, but they're, they're kind of not. Yeah. I think it's also a cultural issue because when I had an issue, initially I spoke to my employer and said, well, can I come into the office early and leave early? And when I left, and they agreed, and when I left, mm -hmm. the people in the office would take the mickey out of me for working hard. Mm -hmm. So it was that cultural banter that would be sure. over the balance rather than the, rather than the company's approach. So it's having, having the business culturally flexible um, yeah. is ultimately where you want to be. And I think all, all, all the companies across the industry are on a journey there, to be frank. Yeah, I think you're probably right. So certainly messages to people listening, this is not about necessarily about what the company offers, but it's about how we all behave as well. When there are people that work with us, that, that work flexibly. So it, it can be an, an interesting dynamic, I guess, in the workplace. Lisa, you also mentioned about taking time out to think about opportunities. Was that difficult for you to do as well? 
Yeah, I mean, I, 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 would, I wish I could say, um, you know, similar to Steve, or I took time out on purpose. I think in some ways my time out was kind of forced on me in the sense I was filling exams. I just couldn't figure it out. So I just, it felt like I, I, I kind of had no choice. And so I did, I did an MBA too, which was, I wasn't necessarily thinking when I took the MBA, that was like time out. It was more, that was just going to help me think about all the opportunities and give me the skills that I need, I needed. Yeah to explore yeah. other opportunities. And then the other time I took was whilst, whilst I was on adoption leave, I didn't necessarily have a choice. That was the, something I absolutely, it was a requirement. I absolutely needed to do that, which was quite difficult in itself when you're at a certain point in your career, you think you've got the certain, you know, as Steve said, on paper, if it feels like it's all, yes, this is what you're supposed to do. But in your mind, it, well, in my mind, it felt like perhaps I'm hurting my career by actually taking that time out because I'm at a yeah. certain point in my career. Um, so, so that in itself was, is it, that's a whole different conversation, I think. Of course. But that, but, but, but that was, um, but it, it had a lot to do with my mindset and how I saw my career and how I saw the culture of work. Um, but definitely, I think it, it was difficult to take that time out, but it was definitely exactly what I needed because, you know, here I am today. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and in our briefing call, just thinking about word mindset that you use there, we talked a little bit about imposter syndrome. How has that affected you at times? How have you managed that? Oh, well, yeah, yeah I can definitely. Whole other podcast, of course, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, Interestingly, I had this statement um, not that long ago that really resonated with me, actually. And it was that anyone that's ever done anything for the first time, when you first start, you're going to be inexperienced and incapable. So expect and welcome that feeling of being an imposter. So if you're someone that wants to spend your entire life growing and learning, which are all things that are conducive with fulfillment, mm -hmm. you should always feel like you're an imposter. If you're not, then one could argue that maybe you're playing it too safe. Maybe you're not challenging yourself enough. So what people call imposter syndrome isn't evidence that you are in the wrong situation, but probably clear proof that you're in the right one. You're yeah. exactly where you're supposed to be. So I'm supposed to spend my entire life doing things that somehow sometimes makes me feel like an imposter. I think having a good support network is key. Um, yeah. And I do, a, I do quite a lot of self-affirmations. I have little post-it notes, et cetera, just to remind myself of what I'm capable of and what I've, I've accomplished as well. I think those are things that I've got. Um, the little tools with under my belt that have kind of helped yeah. me. You know, every time you go into something new, you do something new, you're still going to have what well, I certainly do experience imposter syndrome anyway. So, yeah. Uh, Steve, Steve, what about you in terms of support and sponsors and role models? How important is that for you? Uh, I think kind of role, role models is easy. You know, I'm, I'm a white man, so the, the industry is full of role models. <laughs> I, I don't struggle with that. Um, <laughs> Sponsors is an interesting one because it's 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 really important to have sponsors, but they're not always the obvious people around you. And I think mm -hmm. you you need to go out and cultivate those relationships yourself, whether they even know your your you them as your sponsor or not. You know, I think a long yeah. career I've had people that have been recruitment consultants. I've had um, people in other businesses completely unconnected. Yeah. And I've had um, senior managers that have been my kind of sponsors, but, but I don't think they've ever known it. <laughs> I'd be very embarrassed if I, if I started listing their names now. Um, but they, they are really important because they help you fill the gaps in, in the way that you think and the way that you see the world. Yeah. And Lisa, I'm sure you're agreeing there, yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely, completely agree with everything Steve has said. It's exactly the same for me. Whereas, you know, it's not so obvious, like, oh, wait, hang on, this person is my sponsor. Here you go. It's it's so, it's kind of developed from relationships, and as Steve said, filling in the gaps. And you know, if you're if someone's aware of the skills that you have, the, the, you know, the career, your ambitions, etc., it's a it's a relationship, and then they're aware that there's someone that's looking for that. Before you know it, there's that conversation where you're being recommended. So that's kind of how these yeah. things happen. Sometimes it happens organically like that. And sometimes perhaps someone says, yeah, you're my sponsor. But for me, it's always kind of happened organically. So, I mean, there are different ways of skinning a cat, right? So, uh, Yeah, uh, absolutely. Look, I, I'm always conscious of time. I don't know, this half hour always just seems to race past. It's the quickest half hour in the whole month for me. Um, and I really enjoy it. But so with a couple of minutes to go, um, I'm just going to ask you if you could leave the uh, the people listening to the podcast. What would be your kind of one piece of advice to, um, to people listening today? Lisa, do you want to go first? Yeah, so I would say... Um, just be courageous. Just don't let fear stop you from taking a step forward. Do what you need to do, even if you do it afraid. Because being courageous is not the absence of fear, but instead it is a judgment that something else is more important than fear. So I think we need to just keep stepping forward. Excellent. Thank you. And Steve, over to you. What's your piece of advice? Um, I, I think it's, it's great to be ambitious and it's, and it's great to have a plan. Um, but life happens and, and don't beat yourself up about kind of life happening you know um, that's that's what makes us the rounded people we are so you know get get thrown off course you know let something happen in your life and, and roll with it and, and don't uh, don't beat yourself up about it no that's just great advice isn't it from both of you know I love that piece around life happens because I'm sure we've all felt like that particularly over the last sort of nearly two years now as, as things change in our lives um, on a regular basis so I, all I can say is thank you so much for um, for joining me today I've just really enjoyed speaking to you and understanding career paths and directions that they can take and what influences them and what doesn't influence them in, in some respects. Hopefully that's been really helpful to people listening in today. Um, and I'm sure I, any of us are happy to have conversations with you should you need any um, unofficial sponsors. Um, but I think at the end of the day, what we, we realise is that planned or unplanned, that's actually okay. And, and we can survive it and, and we can get through it. So, um, so thanks again, to everybody for listening thanks to my guest today i hope you all have a great break over christmas and we shall speak sometime in the new year thank you